0: Welcome back to the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is episode 129. My name's Rob Woods, and this is the show for anyone who works in fundraising and who wants some ideas and maybe a little dose of inspiration to help you enjoy your job and raise more money. This time, we're again looking at ideas around working with younger supporters of your charity as I share part two of my interview with Victoria Rowe, who is a senior philanthropy manager at UNICEF UK. In the last episode, Victoria explained why she believes there's a huge opportunity for charities willing to work harder at building relationships with younger generations. She described the enormous transference of wealth that is predicted to take place in the next 10 years, and about the lifestyle factors and common attitudes in younger generations that she has found affect their approach to charitable giving. She also outlined UNICEF UK's Next Gen approach, which includes a relatively low entry point to giving and a deliberate approach to communication that suits younger supporters. In this, the second half of our conversation, we continue to explore what Victoria has learned, including around stewardship and issues around balancing short-term pressures with the opportunity for growth in the long term. I guess my question is, obviously UNICEF is of a certain size and has a certain database and certain resources. And many of our listeners work in different kinds of organizations, many of them smaller. If you worked for a much smaller organization, knowing what you know now after the last few years of learning and experimentation, what are the two or three things that you would do to help a smaller organization take some proactive action because of this opportunity?
1: Yeah, no, it's a a really, really interesting question and something that I will try and condense because lots of thoughts going around in my head all at once. So I think for me, the crux of UNICEF Next Generation is the umbrella identity that sits behind that, right? We've welcomed in, this is a home for younger supporters by creating that identity. What that looks like for each person that's engaging with it, actually can be quite different, but this sense, and you referred to it before, of the fact that we know that this group of supporters, if we look at them as a, as, a, as a whole, do like to feel part of a wider community, do like to feel that they are part of something that is bigger than them, but aligns them with with others. So there's this through line. I always think that the through line that connects everyone together is that they want to create impact for children by being part of UNICEF Next Gen. So we created an identity, which which is an offering to welcome people in. I think you have to have something therefore as a as an olive branch i suppose to say you know we're opening our doors we'd loved for young philanthropists and younger supporters to feel that we are a, a natural charity of choice for them in terms of sort of starting that off i think again it's about going back to that you know growing what you know in terms of i would look at what are the circles of influence that i already have so we've talked a little bit about looking at your own database to see who are you connected to through your existing partnerships relationships etc and starting very small in that respect by looking at two to three things that you need help with going to those individuals with those things and as I said that can be advice it can be uh, reflections guidance etc of what it is that you're strategically trying to achieve and what you think they in their position might be able to help you to do because what that then leads you into is starting that open conversation of being able to build something together and I think that that is where you have the really authentic engagement with the charity is that where you're able to then also say to those people what else would you be looking for what else do you think we should be doing and you don't have to take everything on board of course not but the concept that you've invited your own audience to be part of that co-creation piece Both means that your insights are more timely and accurate because you're sort of talking to your own audience in that way. But it's much more likely as well that they'll want to come on board and help you create it and be part of that, um, the foundation of what that might end up looking like. Clearly,
0: if we are enlightened about it and we can help the rest of our organisation be genuinely holistic about it and focus on the overall mission, rather than be too silo driven in terms of each team's targets. It's also true that if you involve and communicate in the right ways with younger supporters, some generous gifts are going to come as well aren't they and and that is going to help the major donor income in the short term
1: yeah absolutely we work with young philanthropists you know they that are giving at major donor levels so six figures annually and those relationships have all come from introductions from within our what we refer to as our next gen members and i think what's so not necessarily unique, but I think what makes it such a a pleasure to work on is that those relationships tend to be very authentic in terms of it's not just someone opening up their black book and saying, oh, you might want to speak to X, but instead it is a case of, I'd love to introduce you, you know, let's go to coffee together. What I mean is when I've been looped in on these emails, the way that that individual is speaking about our organisation and saying, you know, I'd love to introduce you to Victoria is so heartening to the fact that these supporters really really feel part of the UNICEF family and that we have welcomed them in in such a way that they feel confident and comfortable with then opening up that uh, opportunity to, to, to people within their network. And I think what I've also seen the value in is that they want to stay involved in a positive way in terms of helping me to steward those connections even more impactfully so we can have very open and honest conversations about, oh, what do you think that person will think of, you know, this report that we've got coming up? Is it up their street? Shall I send it their way? And being able to therefore, again, go back to that cross-collaborative piece of they're almost, you know, an- another relationship manager <laughs> within that process because they're that engaged. They, they feel that strongly about having introduced the relationship that they want to help it be as impactful as possible
0: yes I wonder maybe the things you're about to share are just most of them are just good fundraising practice we should all be trying to do well anyway and maybe some of them are especially pertinent for younger supporters could you give us some things you've discovered that are important in relation to stewardship and or communication and or relationship building if we're working with younger people?
1: What I'm going to refer to will probably be very recognizable to lots of people already working with great stewardship behind them because it is very much about getting to know the donors through really listening to what it is that they are looking for from your organization and I think that that then trickles down into all the different elements of how they'd like to be communicated with you reference that yes absolutely I'm speaking to a lot of these uh, donors and supporters via WhatsApp as opposed to sort of uh, lengthy emails or certainly sort of long phone calls you know, I'm receiving voice notes, where we are able to just quickly pass on information, or I'm able to say, I saw this and thought of you, and know that it is something that isn't going to be something that they have to set time aside to look at, to read through, and to feel that we are a sort of um, a time drain, or or really an an emotional drain, you know, so I have spoken to them a lot about what kind of reporting are you interested in, what, what they do and don't like, and I think that Different things have come out, but this concept of wanting to see the impact without having to wade through lots of narrative that gets you there. But like I said previously, you know, this slightly more transactional way of what has the gift unlocked? And then also these case studies with regards to the real human side behind the work itself. So I think that ability to tell stories is relevant to to anybody that we might be stewarding. But I think not making assumptions that the PDFs that you're used to putting together are going to be off the shelf materials. I think what's brilliant is that we're saying maybe it's not about really, really long, really, really detailed. And it is something that from a resource perspective, you might be able to put together quite swiftly. By just focusing on the pieces of information that are going to land. And to be honest, I've had people ask me before about things that they can put on their social media, you know, like, I want to put a few little bits up, what could you help me with? And that, that took some learning for me, because uh, I, I don't work in that team, you know, I don't, I, you know, they were talking about end cards and various other things that they wanted to to, to get on to Instagram to be able to share that message more broadly. And that meant establishing a, a, a you know, a, a really nice line of communication with our social media colleagues, which of course makes total sense that we would want to be creating materials that can go out into a space where people can proudly say, you know, this is what I'm supporting and this is how you can get behind it too. And so sometimes just activating lines of communication that probably should be there anyway.
0: Yeah. And is it a fair generalisation that more drip, drip, regular, informal communication is likely to be better And it's much less likely that long, wordy, dry documents without images and without films and links to more interactive content also is a a trend there.
1: Definitely, definitely. And I think, you know, if we take some of our emergency work into mind, when I've heard feedback from some of the supporters, they've said, In those instances, please, please tell me what is the situation and what do you need me to do? And pulling that up to the fore in terms of even referring to it as call to action or whatever that might look like so that it is brought up of right now, what we need is our link to our fundraising page to be shared as widely as possible. And you can do that by clicking here, you know, just making it as simple and straightforward to be able to take action because that is that case of being very front footed. These donors are saying, you know, I'm absolutely happy to help, but just tell me what you need me to do I think that there is a concept of us thinking well they'll come to us with their ideas because they're trailblazing there you know and they are absolutely all of those things but they can't be in all places at once so they are asking us to say well you tell me what it is that you need me to do and I'll tell you how I can adapt that into my own circumstances but I think making it as simple as possible to say what is the message and what is the support that is needed has been the main takeaway definitely so that if for example in our situation when an emergency strikes you know we're absolutely aiming to get an email out within a few hours to be able to say you know here's the latest press release call me if you want to chat more
0: hey it's rob i wanted to briefly jump in in case you'd like to get a much deeper level of training and coaching support than is possible in these short podcast episodes i'm really proud of our bright spot members club which gives you full-time access to our fundraising training library as well as a live workshop or masterclass every week rather than have me explain I thought it would be most helpful if you could hear from someone who's used these resources. So here's a short clip from Pippa Hind Walsh.
2: I've been a member of Bright Spot Members Club for a couple of years now and also attended Brock's Mastery course. It's been amazingly helpful for me all the way through. Uh, had lots of different things to juggle as I've been going and I was new to the role a couple of years ago. So having the Members Club and all the resources on the Members Club there to refer to and to help me and to help my confidence was amazing. It's been a huge source of support for me. You know, sometimes fundraising can be a bit of a lonely world, especially if you work for a small fundraising team, people have different areas of expertise. Having that resource to go to, to to give you inspiration and to help you out and to grow your confidence is huge. Um, But also having that community and the chance to meet other amazing fundraisers who are probably going through the same challenges as you um, and that you can bounce your, your ideas off is absolutely key.
0: If you'd like to find out more about either the Bright Spot Members Club, the Corporate Mastery Programme or any of our other training programmes, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. Right now, let's get back to my conversation with Victoria. Yes, and Victoria, I wonder what you've learned with these very busy people as the fundraiser requesting an actual conversation, whether it's actually in a coffee shop or whether may be a phone call or a Zoom call, but what you've learned about whether it's possible to... Request those actual chats and how you go about it and why it's useful to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think that I've spoken a fair bit about the fact that it is about having that honest and open conversations with these individuals with regards to what it is that they're looking for from their charitable giving, and therefore seeing if we are the right fit as an organisation to be able to work on that together and taking that back and thinking, you know, how could we adapt the things that we're trying to achieve to be able to do this with this new supporter, with this donor. And I think on the sort of flip side of that, there's also the communication of being able to meet somebody and chat through their giving to remove some of the assumptions that we might have started to put on individuals. And The reason that I bring that up is because another version of sort of young philanthropy are those next generations who are sitting within family foundations. So within the family board, maybe they have a seat at the table, maybe they will and don't yet. And it can be a really frustrating position to be in because they don't always have the decision making power yet with regards to, to how their funds are used. But they have some really strong feelings that they are not always given the opportunity to express and so actually having that opportunity to sit down with somebody who perhaps comes from from family wealth who doesn't necessarily just want to feel that you're just trying to use them to get to their parents and I think that's really really obvious when that is the case and really off-putting and I think instead being that listening ear to really being let in on the pressure that is set by sort of responsibility to use their wealth well to continue that family legacy of giving. But maybe they don't want to do it in quite the same way that their parents were doing it, and I think sometimes we can make an assumption that a whole family that that you know they've always given to X, and so that's what they'll want to continue doing. But giving the mic <laughs> over to those younger generations allows us to also hear what they're thinking that is a little bit different, or what types of things are piquing their interest, and also being able to provide a bit of value add as philanthropy manager. You know, I think that our relationship is very much about you know, understanding the sector, understanding giving trends and sort of why people might be leaning towards creating impact in a certain way and not in others, how philanthropy is being spoken about within the private sector, for example, um, and being able to maybe start sowing the seeds of some of the things that I'm very passionate about. So, for example, the importance of unrestricted fundraising and the fact that within multi-year partnerships, you know, that's where we really see systems change. And these individuals who are sitting with what is therefore inherited wealth, those are the individuals that could really create systems change. And so being able to have those conversations is often really, I guess, a bit like a seminar, you know, you're sort of spitballing back and forth with opinions on giving and what's important and why. And so I guess what I mean by that is that those individuals maybe aren't always used to being asked what their opinion is, and so would love the opportunity to have that chat, and for it not to be centred around an ask again, but around giving. Absolutely, you don't need to shy away from the fact that you know you're having a, a conversation about ultimately what is to do with fundraising. Um, but this concept of how, why, when, values, and and all of that piece that sits behind creating a giving journey for somebody, which you get the privilege of maybe being at the beginning of that journey as it develops.
0: So, Victoria, in both these episodes we've been sharing, there are plenty of examples of actually valuable resources and income and money has been coming into UNICEF to help it pay for its work now. And it's really clear that there are some quicker wins, some short term wins. And it's also true from the first half of our conversation that a lot of the justification for trying to solve this is because of just how valuable it might be in five, six, seven, eight years' time if we start to work with younger people who care about our cause in these ways and build the relationships now. So what would you say to our listeners who are thinking, well, yes, it does make sense, but I've got colleagues who aren't going to be convinced enough that there are enough short-term wins, there's enough money coming in, we can't afford to wait for eight years. What would you say to them about what you've discovered about making some resource to work in this way now?
1: It's a tricky challenge even with something like UNICEF NextGen, which is robust enough, established enough that we're able to, as you say, be seeing significant enough income in the here and now, as well as being able to work on relationships that we know are more in that sort of long-term sphere. And I would say that I still put energy and effort into that internal sellback piece, uh, more so than maybe I realized I would when I took on some of the responsibilities but I think that it only comes with its own additional positives of really looking at that analysis piece of when things are coming through. So instead of whenever I present back on, on next gen, even if I've been asked to present back on income, I present back on income and impact. And so I'm talking, seeding that information in throughout, just because I think it's so important. So I talk about income banked, and I talk about in, income unlocked. And I think that terminology is just really helpful to remind the listener, whoever it might be, that I'm presenting back to internally, externally, of the fact, That a lot of this isn't so linear in terms of it is that cross collaborative piece of, you know, perhaps that income that's been unlocked is within special events. But shouldn't we all be working in that way that all of our departments are supporting other work, other strategies within the departments? And that's where I very much started when I started looking at NextGen was going to all the different departments and saying, you know, what are you trying to achieve or what have you already got coming up in your diary? So staying on the special events piece, you know, I mentioned earlier about event boards. Okay, so that already exists, and what does that infrastructure look like? And what boxes you need to tick to be part of that board, and therefore where is our movement, or you know where table sales are at X. You know, can we have a a twenty percent discount from that down to be able to have a next gen table within that, and it's a slightly different price point, and it just starts us entering into that sphere of we're welcoming people as opposed to as we said before, sort of square peg round hole, just trying to fit people in for the sake of it. I think that is definitely my tip. Is that this when looking at engaging with the sort of next generation? It should start with things that you're already doing and see where you can be adapting them to attract sort of a a new supporter or a new audience. And that might start with your existing major donors and thinking, you know, their children, would they like to be introduced to have a conversation about what types of things would they like to see from the charity? The reason that that is such a fantastic move is that it's a conversation again, as opposed to an ask. So you're starting to to build a relationship that isn't based around just that transactional expectation. But for the major donors who are the parents, what a wonderful stewardship offering for them, that you are welcoming them to bring their children into the picture, basically. And so by spending time with them, you're stewarding the parents too. I think it's such a lovely, soft way to start with the circles of influence that you already have access to and the and the people that you know.
0: My goodness, this has been a wonderful exploration, Victoria. When I originally talked to you at the conference and asked if you'd do a half hour episode and you said, Yes, you didn't know what you were letting yourself in for. So thank you for all your time, sharing all these ideas and tips. I really appreciate it. I will continue to watch and learn from what you're doing at UNICEF. It's such an interesting project. So thank you for continuing to explore and continuing to generously share. But for now, Victoria Rowe, thank you for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Rob. It's an absolute pleasure.
0: I hope you found our chat helpful. If so, and you don't already follow the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast, please hit that button now so that you don't miss out on any of the other episodes we've got coming up. You'll also get immediate access to the whole back catalogue, including part one of my chat with Victoria. We've put a full transcript of the episode on the podcast section of the Fundraising Bright Spots website, as well as a link to the Beacon Collective, where you can find their really helpful report, which is called giving needs of the future wealthy. And if you'd like ongoing help with your fundraising at a much deeper level, check out our training and inspiration club, the Bright Spot Members Club, which can be a great value alternative to using up your training budget on a one-day course or conference. Find out more at brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join, or if you're a manager, send me a message via our website to find out more about team discounts. Now, if you think this episode would help other people, then thank you so much if you're able to take a moment and share it on so we can help as many charities as possible with these ideas. Victoria and I would love to know what you think about these episodes. You can get in touch or tag Victoria or I on LinkedIn and on Twitter, I am at Woods underscore Rob. Thank you for listening today. Best of luck with your fundraising and I look forward to sharing more Bright Spot insights and stories with you very soon.